Hey everyone, I'm Randy. And I'm Josh. And this is A New Approach, a podcast about challenging the status quo, embracing new ideas, and taking a new approach towards solving age-old problems. On today's episode, I welcome Kenna Cottrell to the podcast. We talk about the changing world of personal development in the workplace, the cultural and generational barriers that sometimes keep us from seizing opportunities for growth, as well as how we can practice leadership and find opportunities outside of work and within our own lives. Kenna is the Director of Organizational Development and Talent Management at Keck Medicine of USC, and she spent the last decade focusing on leadership and organizational development, as well as the science and art of maximizing people's potential in the workplace. Kenna also has a world of experience in strategic prioritization, program and process design, and team leadership. She's even a skilled trainer and facilitator in fostering inclusive employee experiences that focus in on embracing connection with teams. I had the pleasure of working directly with Kenna in a past role at Virgin Orbit when she was our director of people development, and I can speak firsthand to her skill set and aptitude for developing both individuals and teams. Now, Josh, I know you weren't able to join us for today's episode, but are you ready to kick this off for us? Let's get into it. All right, Kenna, thank you so much for joining me today. It's such a pleasure to have you on and to talk to you again. It's been forever. Before we get started, would you mind giving our audience a little bit of a background? Where are you from? What do you do? Yeah, I would love to. I'm actually originally from Northern California, so the Sacramento area. And I went to UC Davis for college, and then I traveled across the country and went to Miami University of Ohio for grad school. And then I met my future husband and I moved to Los Angeles. So I've been in Los Angeles for quite a long time. And as I was going through, met my husband and I wanted a new career, I went back to school for an organizational psychology degree. So for the last decade, I've um, been practicing in industrial organizational psychology, mostly in healthcare, but also in aerospace for a tiny moment. And I really think my work is all about maximizing individual potential to help people work better together so that they can change the teams that they're on, the environments that they're in, the organizations they're part of. And I get a lot of joy out of that. Mostly I do talent development type stuff. So onboarding and leadership development, learning design, team dynamics work, a little bit of coaching and assessments, and largely just Again, helping people uh, be better versions of themselves so that they can work better together. That's a little bit about me. And you'll notice, obviously, my pictures. I've got two little kids that keep me busy. So, Yeah, that is fantastic. Wow. What a robust background. That's so cool. There's something that you said. You said your job really is about maximizing people's potential not just individually, but also in the way that they work together with one another, which is, I think, such a critical component of personal and professional development is Mm -hmm. really how you work with other people. It's like the why statements are so important, right? It's important to have that on your own, but at the end of the day, you want to have it because it's all about the impact that you're having on the world and on others. Yeah, which I think originally my philosophy was about helping people work better together. That's Mm -hmm. how I would describe what IO psychology was. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that if you don't know yourself and you're not showing up the best way that you can show up, then it's really hard to get people to work better together. So I think that has been a relatively recent shift for me around that impact. And I think I don't hear from teams that it has been meaningful that we've worked together. I hear from individuals that it was meaningful Mm. that we did this work together, even if it was with a whole team. I happen to have it. Clifton strengths around significance and like wanting to make an impact. So I think that Mm -hmm. has also been instructive in how I think about um, what I do and what my work is about. Interesting. Has that informed like your own personal why too? Has that shifted over the years? Or is that something that you even really put significance on? Because obviously that as a concept is important, but I know not everyone thinks about it in the same way. Yeah. So it's interesting because Making an impact has always been a big part of who I am. So prior to working in healthcare, I was working in higher education and with this idea that working with people who are learning how to be adults is really Mm. important. So I did clubs and activities and student government, so leadership development amongst college-age students. And then I realized I wanted to move into 
adult, like working with adults in corporate lives because we spend so much time at work. Like how do we make work better? And there's a million ways that we can make work better. Most of it's individual. But I think that this idea, I think it has really influenced the decisions I've made about the places I've worked. So working in healthcare, Mm. it's very much about making an impact. It's very much about giving back, working for something or some organization bigger than myself and having that contribution. And yeah, so that has always been part of the journey. And I think it's why I'm in a people facing Mm. work. And it's about other people doing well, other people getting better, other or maximizing on the skills they already have. So it's not always about this deficit. It's not about that. It's about yeah. What do you do? How do you maximize that? Do that so a different way or in a different environment as well. Absolutely. So then why the shift to aerospace? Because that's a very different world than education and healthcare. Yeah. It was in like kind of year two of COVID. And okay. I had been working at my previous or- organization for almost nine years. So I'd been there for a long time. And I just knew I needed something different. I had never mm-hmm. worked in a for-profit organization before. I I knew I just needed something different. And so it was an interesting opportunity. And I think the working for a virgin-based company aligned mm-hmm. with some of my values in terms of disruption and having fun and being sure. a little bit freer. And then, of course, engineering and, and aerospace still has like guardrails. So not dissimilar from healthcare. The, yeah. the level of um, like needing to be a high reliability organization where you do things right every time because there are people who literally could be injured by the work that we yeah. do. It's, it, they're not dissimilar, even though there's obviously differences. And ultimately, it was also about the leaders that I interviewed with and seeing, mm. being able to see that I had potential there to try some new things, to be different than I was in my current organization, to experiment and and it was a great experience. I would have stayed. So certainly uh, that was just sure. the life cycles of organizations are like that. Yeah. And now I'm back in a healthcare organization where um, we're building out a lot of these talent yeah. development programs. And I'm really excited about that. What did you bring back with you from aerospace going back into the healthcare sector? Yeah, that is a great question. I think it partially was due to the culture of Virgin Orbit and that like the focus on fun, the focus on clear, concise messaging, the focus Mm -hmm. on some branding Mm -hmm. pieces that I hadn't done before. So like, how do we communicate this in a way that people can hear it? Whatever that this is, um, how can we communicate it in a fun way and not such a corporate way? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that I think is part of it. I also think that when I went into aerospace, like I didn't really know anything and being able to articulate that humility of, I don't know what your day-to-day is like. And that's, and in some ways I don't actually even need to know. I need to know parts of it, Um, but I'm not trying to be an expert in your field. I'm trying to be an expert in my field and bring what I can to this conversation. So I think that sense of partnership has been really like much more developed. And it's something I'm bringing into my current organization again, because I know this much about yeah. my current organization. And although I know healthcare, I don't know this level of healthcare, this kind of healthcare, and I don't know these people, really seeing myself one is having some expertise in some areas because that was something yeah. that I was not very comfortable with when I started in aerospace is not really feeling comfortable in my own expertise or not and people would say, "Oh, you're an expert in this." No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not an expert. But then also so coming out of that with a little bit more confidence, being able to own where I know things and being able to let go of where I didn't and not feeling yeah. some kind of way about that. Do you almost prefer to be in a situation where you really don't know everything or you even know very little? <laughs> Show and me if a situation so, like, where I know a lot of things. I, mean, I don't. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you clearly have a breadth of expertise, but you also have a track record for putting yourselves in situations where that expertise doesn't necessarily immediately apply. Why do you enjoy that experience of I've got the ingredients, but this is a completely different kitchen and I need to figure out how to put a dish together? I like that question. Um, I think part of it is that people are not that different. Mm. So even though we're in different kinds of organizations, different kinds of teams, what people really need 
at work. There's so much research about what do people really need and want at work and it's a spectrum, right? So for everyone that wants meaning and belonging, there are just as many people who want a paycheck and time to do the yeah. life that they have outside of work. And, and so that's really important. And we still spend a lot of time there. So I think there are some elements of this that everywhere that I've gone, I've been able to learn, like every team gives me a new, like a new piece of information, like a new piece of the puzzle to try with another team. Oh, that really works. Let's try it again. Oh, that did not work. Let's not do yeah. that in that way again. And I think the improvisation, the like the experimentation around that, and and I, if we go back to again Clifton Strengths, which yeah. I have a learner in my top five. So learner is about wanting to learn and learning for the sake of learning and not for the sake of necessarily applying what you learn yeah. to each situation. And it would be great if I applied more of the things that I learned, but I don't always, or I don't in the way that I expect. I also have a strength called input, which is about collecting. I collect mm. information. Often it's mm-hmm. through a quote about that, that I will use it like five months later or five years later. And I can never tell when that thing that I have learned about is going to play a role. So the opportunity to try working in new new environments, new teams, new leaders gives me that chance to keep learning and, yeah. and do it in a practical way. Although I Absolutely. love reading books, people are so fascinating. Teams are so fascinating that it's, there's always something to learn, always something different to try. Yeah, I would have to agree. Mm-hmm. I, there's no substitute for, as everyone says, when they finish college or any kind of like very programmatic system, and then you come out of it and it's okay, now f- pretty much forget about like 80% of what you learned. <laughs> not necessarily because it's not useful, but because you need to understand the rules just enough to break the rules or to say, mm, yeah, but I think there's a, a different way or a new yeah. approach. Because I only get paid if I shout out the name of our podcast. So I had to throw that in there. But I'm just kidding. I don't get paid at all. I'm a founder. So <laughs> eventually you will, though. Like yeah. you're building a great product. But, great. That, but that's, uh, that's not the purpose, right? No. The whole point no. of what we're trying to do is it's a very large problem, but we really want to solve the problem of human fulfillment. And mm-hmm. we think that the needle is moving in the wrong direction over the last couple of decades, mm-hmm. that people are searching for meaning in areas that are increasingly devoid. Of, of meeting or of where maybe in a traditional sense you would have been able to find it. But especially like you talked about a lot of the that the spectrum of what people want at work, yeah. especially for the younger generations now like Gen Z and even young millennials like myself, you want meaning, you want purpose, you want fulfillment, you want to find that in your work, but you also want a self-directed path. You want better work-life balance. You don't want to spend all your time at work. It seems like some of those two things are at odds when you work with not necessarily different age teams, but different culture teams, the, the microcultures within organizations as well as within those organizations, do you see kind of issues starting to pop up because of those two worlds colliding? Or yeah. how, how has that evolved over time? That's a good question. I do think some of it has to do with expectations. So I think, mm. um, and even if we use generational differences as an example, I think that leaders are often... Um, so if you're an experienced leader and you've been in the workforce for a number of years, how it felt to come up in the organization or yeah. organizations, plural, is yeah. different than what people expect today. So the mm-hmm. opportunity for advancement, the opportunity for learning and growth is at a different pace. So the days of putting in your time does not resonate for people. Yeah. Um, and so then for experienced leaders who can't provide different mentoring, different experiences, that's not just, I had to wait five years to be a senior fill in the blank. So you do too. Yeah. It, that creates a disconnect, I think, generationally in large part. And I think that the world is just, the world is different. The world is different than it was 20 years ago. The di- world is different than it was two years ago. And so yeah. the more that we can acknowledge that today's reality is real for people, just as real as 20 years ago was real for you. I think yeah. that all those experiences are real and valid. Yeah. Um, I I love that. And I appreciate that because our perspective in what we're trying to build with new is that the world is just going to continue to change even faster. Yeah. And as crazy as it might sound, our quote unquote teammates now are, are not necessarily going to be the humans interacting with. It's these digital entities that are quickly evolving I am 
super interested to see how the explosion of that in the workforce is going to change some of these dynamics, but even leaving like technology and AI out of the question for now, what do you feel that some of the long-term effects might be on leadership development? Because one of the things that you said is maybe you have a Gen Z worker or someone coming in who has a different expectation, maybe a different expectation for what types of opportunities for advancements for leadership development as well as like leadership expertise, maybe somebody that's been in the organization for a long time. I imagine it's harder to connect and to find those opportunities now that we're continuing to embrace hybrid work. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think hybrid work is really important and is obviously the future. But how do you feel like you may need to factor that in to take a new approach or to allow people to own leadership development opportunities in this new paradigm? Mm -hmm. It's It's a great question. And part of it, it's in part of it depends on how you define development. Okay. And there are lots of different models around kind of development. And but even if you take a standard like 70, 20, 10 model of development, right? 70% of what you learn and how you develop is on the job. Mm-hmm. And that means it has to be well supported by your leader. Your mm-hmm. leader needs to be giving you ex- clear expectations, clear feedback, clear mentoring and guidance, stretch opportunities, those types of things. But 70% of your time is spent there. 20% of your time might be spent with partnerships and relationships. It's relationship-based learning. Again, a mentor, a coach, a peer learner, yeah. but it's about the relationship. And then only really 10% of your time is spent in, um, intended to be spent in formal learning reading books, going to classes, et cetera. That's actually not how we do most of leadership development today. We do 70% is intended to be in the classroom and 10% is on the job. Now, and that's just practical because people, because it's complicated for leaders. It's complicated Mm -hmm. to be managing development on a regular basis when you're also trying to do the work. And so it does require, I think, leaders to see that part of their role in a way, in a different way. And I think a lot of people get into leadership because they are really great individual contributors. Mm-hmm. I also think that is changing where we are starting to look at how do you work with others when we're figuring out who should be the next kind of leader or leaders. And we're putting a lot more emphasis on kind of soft skills in that. Like you, you don't have to be an expert in every one of these jobs in order to be a great leader. Um, yeah. It's about the people. So I think that's one of the things to just keep in mind is that hybrid work changes the dynamic in which you do on the job or relational learning. And it means that I think learners have to be more proactive. Um, Mm -hmm. It is harder to be seen when you are on a Teams or Zoom call with 20 other people. And if you candidly don't have your camera on and you don't say anything, whether that's in the chat or raise your virtual hand and put yourself out there. It's just not saying anything in a live meeting, except that people actually saw your face because you were in a live meeting. But if you didn't contribute, it actually, it's the same difference. I do think it puts some responsibility on the learner and it puts responsibility on the leader to say to learners and to teammates, what is it you're trying to accomplish? In mm-hmm. your career, when you think about the, the the arc of your career, what does that look like? And and even if you only know the next five years, that's fine. Or the next one year, that's fine. But yeah. what are we going to do in this current role? Because I have I have things I need you to do, and this job should be a stepping stone. It should help you get to whatever's next for you. Even if that's, oh gosh, no, your job is not about marketing and branding. Like I learned a lot in my last job about using Canva that I never Mm -hmm. thought I would use and do things with. And now I use it outside of my work life in my personal life when I'm doing Girl Scout stuff or when I'm hosting a block party for our our neighborhood, right? Like Like that tool was important to that job and now it has served other, you know, kind of opportunities for me. And it's such a small example, but it's a good one that I wasn't expecting, but I knew I needed to learn how to do some marketing. So I did that. Yeah, I I, I think it's a fantastic example. I experienced the same thing because there's not really such thing as especially anymore. The traditional quote unquote paths, you do this, you start here and then you do B, C, D, E, F, G, and then you end up where you wanna be. That used to work. Like when we had more structured systems and in certain industries, that's still the case, certain kind of legacy industries, but, By and large, while there may be more opportunities than ever, 
like the forest of opportunities is growing, but now there are more trees than ever. So visualizing your path through that forest to get where you want to go, that's harder than it's ever been. So to know, ooh, I can take this skill set for the next thing that I want to do. I can take this this learning opportunity or this leadership opportunity here. You have to be your own Skillshare. You have to mm-hmm. you have yeah. to build your own education now in a lot of ways for young people. Once you're already on the job, regardless of what you actually did for education, if that was an opportunity for you, right. and that was something that I found to be very true for me. Also working at Virgin Orbit is when I was doing business mm-hmm. development, and then ending up doing customer experience. I decided that I should just dive in head first because that virgin brand of like never underestimate people's need and want to just have a damn good time regardless of what they're doing and to not take themselves too seriously how do you bring that to this legacy like aerospace rocket industry um Mm -hmm. and now realizing that i have to use that same approach to bring it to ai like this really highly technical field where most of the people in the field have not really been focused on like the human interaction design or the customer experience of what it's like. And realizing that's actually a really key differentiator for us is we know how to craft and nail really unique, really human-like experiences that other people may have the technical capabilities to build, but don't necessarily have the soft skills to say, no, if you're trying to have this impact on someone through this tool, it needs to interact with somebody in a certain way. Yeah. I didn't necessarily say, oh, I know I'm going to start an AI startup next. So right. it's really hard as a as anyone, but especially a young person, to say, oh, okay, I'm going to decide that I'm going to take this skill set and try to really dive into it because I think I want to use it in the future. It's hard to know until after the fact, hindsight 2020, what you're going to need. And I do think that the way that we see our careers is different, or at least the way I see my career is different. I'm no longer thinking about it as a trajectory. I'm more now thinking about it as a mosaic. And so if we think mm. about that, what are the different skills that I pull together that help me be good yeah. <laughs> at, yeah. at any job? I And again, I'm using, I don't have an industry that I need to work in. I'm working in healthcare now. I'll be doing that for a while. It, it aligns with my values. And there are other industries that would be equally aligned to my values. And my skills are still going to be the same. They are just going to be put together perhaps a little bit differently. I also just, I think that those ladders that we all, like we've been told we need to climb. I think that younger generations have really like upset that. And Mm -hmm. so some of these ladders are just not there. There are so few of them. If you're going to climb they're like they get so much more limited at the top and that there are so many ways to contribute and to make a difference. So yeah. I think that's the other piece I try to think about. I'm not trying to make a difference in all of Keck Medicine of USC because that's like that scope is not where my scope is. But yeah. gosh, I can make a difference with this team, this yep. person. And if I, I hate to say narrow my focus, but that's a little bit of what it is, is like, where is that impact going to happen today? Yeah. And that then over the course of a 30 or 40 year career, I will have made impacts in a lot of places that I can't, I can't have predicted where those ended up. So I just also think about that sphere of influence. And I wonder sometimes if we are training people to like change the world, but it, it doesn't mm. be the whole world. It can just be like your part of the world, like change yeah. and make that difference here because it will make a difference in other connected ways. Uh, so I think about that and I think about, again, like that mosaic piece, but it, it goes to the question too of how do you then use AI tools to help you craft a something going forward? Because I think that AI is great. I think it it is amazing as a yeah. learning professional because I went on literally this morning and I was like, I'm just going to, because I haven't had to design any learning content lately. But let's say I wanted to design an emotional intelligence course. Let's say I wanted to do that. Okay. So I just go in and I I went to chat GPT and I was like, what are the top five skills for emotional intelligence? And it could synthesize thousands upon thousands of pieces of information and give me like five things that I could focus on. Now, I have to still decide if those are the right five things. Precisely. And I probably need to work with somebody else to do that. But if I was going to try to develop emotional intelligence and I didn't know where to start, it's a great place to start without just yeah. Googling and then having to make sense of articles or videos that might be not conflicting because it's not that conflicting, 
Like, yeah. like now there's 20 things I have to do and I really need two things. So yeah. I, I think that's one of the really powerful pieces of it is like to help people get started. Yep. And then I think, yeah, like where's that relational piece in learning? Because humans tend to, humans don't learn by learning. They learn by reflecting on learning. And yep. there are lots of ways to reflect on learning. Yeah, I think like AI tools can do that. But if they feel too robotic, I think that's what you were saying earlier. Is if all these folks that are designing these AI tools haven't thought about that customer experience, and at the end of the day, a human is going to be interacting with it and trying to make change, trying to do something with that information. So it needs to feel like a authentic, relational based learning. And it I also think. depends on what you're doing, right? If you're writing code, oh, I don't yeah. care if, if my software is emotionally intelligent <laughs> yeah. or not. But if I'm trying to say, hey, I just started a brand new job. I'm working 50 hours a week. I'm getting married next year. And I'm trying to balance all of these priorities in my life. It's probably not great to go for a one-size-fits-all massive GPT-like solution because you don't have the context. You don't have the personalization. You don't have yeah. the individuality that's required. Yeah. And... It can still help there, but that's what we've been able to successfully build. Like for me, I struggled. I remember the first day ChatGPT came out, and we'll just use that as an example because you Mm -hmm. brought it up. There's now hundreds of thousands of fantastic AI tools, but they're all in such very like niche areas that now you almost need like a micro degree just to know how to put them all together in a seamless way. And I'm hoping that will change for people, (laughs) right? Like it. It's wild. And it's advancing so quickly that once you learn a new tool, it's like nobody uses that anymore. Now there's one that's 10 times better already. And that's really frustrating. I want us to use AI to level up the human, not necessarily just level up the tools that they're using. Like we are far more interested at a new in the painter than the paintbrush. And I feel like what humans repeatedly fall into is, oh my gosh, there's such this amazing, there's this brand new amazing tool it's the world's best paintbrush. It's going to make me the next Picasso. But the reality is that will never be the case. And the tools are only so good as how you use them. So with our tool and what we have been able to do is build something that really focuses in on using the strengths of AI, of artificial intelligence to help with your organic intelligence. And we're blending those two worlds in a really unique way that I think a lot of other teams aren't so that you get both the human interaction and both of that reflection, as well as this incredibly intelligent tool that can synthesize a hundred times more information about you and your life than you would be able to do. So it can assist you in that reflection, but ensure that at the end of the day, your priorities, what it is that you're doing next, what really is best is still decided on by you. The AI powers the engine, but the human remains behind the wheel is the way that we like to think about it. I love that. And the reality is, is that if you didn't have time for like analog leadership development, that yeah. AI might not help you have more time for leadership development. It still requires that commitment. It still requires the yeah. engagement. Yeah. And so it's, and finding then the right tool is meaningful it, because if it's going to motivate you to do it, if it's the right. right tool for you, it might be the best, it might not be the best tool out there. It actually doesn't matter if it's the yeah. best tool. But God, if it works for you, then that is the power of the tool. Yes. And so I try hard like not to say this is the best and only tool we should use for any yeah. number of purposes. Like there are a million great leadership books. There are a million great leadership assessments. There are a million yeah. great leadership programs. And it could 100% fail for yeah. you because it's yeah. not the right thing. But I, if you don't mind, I want to talk about analog leadership development a little bit, but let's let's jump into one specific thing. I remember, and I think probably every single person that's listening to this podcast can relate to this. It feels like no matter what organization, no matter how great a company culture is, there's always a gap between day-to-day teammates and what they think and feel about the organization and what the C-suite and other executives or just leadership in general. I'll use that Mm -hmm. term very broadly, obviously. They're leaders at so many different levels. And oftentimes the true leaders are the ones that are usually not at the highest level, if you're talking about their impact on the organization. In your experience, what are some of those common human problems and causes of that disconnect and some of the best human strategies before AI Mm -hmm. came into the equation that we've seen to be able to build a bridge between those two worlds? Yeah, it's so interesting. I do think part of the gap is about perception and expectation of role. So executives don't necessarily need to know what's going on the front line. 
That's mm. not where they're, that's not their role. Their role is a different, more strategic, more like external, often facing role. Um, yeah. Thinking about what the future is for the organization, thinking longer term. Whereas those folks at the front line are in, in the weeds. They, that is the job. Like they do, like they, they touch the product, they touch the patient, they, like they make things happen. And I think sometimes the gap is that each of the other, each part of that expects the other to understand their whole worldview and see it their way. Yeah. Uh, And not even like, like that their way is the only way, but they expect to have that understanding. So I think that. But if you're in like, again, a new, you're a new nurse and you just graduated from nursing school, it's hard to understand probably what like your chief nursing officer or your hospital executive, like what they're worried about. You might've learned some of it in school, but now it's real. And now again, you have 14 patients you're taking care of and how do you do that? Um, So part of it is I do think it's about perspective. And I think to bridge that gap, one is to have different expectations of what people should, what they should care about. Because I think if we expect them to care about the same thing, then they're not going to. Yeah. Um, and then the other piece is I do think that town halls and listening tours and dialogue, like either, I, and town halls and listening tours are two different things, right? Town halls are like, Top down, we're going to give you some information about where we're going as an organization, what we're worried about, and what we're thinking yeah, yeah. about. And then the listening tours are about coming down and saying, what's happening right here that we need to address? And that's those are different conversations. Yeah, but I do definitely. think it's about that level of communication and transparency within that, giving people enough so that they have a sense of what's real and what's true and from your perspective, but then also recognizing that they might interpret it differently and see it differently. So how do we have both transparency and openness to diversity of thought in that? Yeah. I also, I I get the feeling like sometimes our, like our frontline folks really think that our upper level leaders don't care about the experience of the frontline. And I don't believe that's true. And I believe that many executive leaders have delegated that job of caring about the day-to-day, week-to-week even month-to-month issues to mid-level managers. So then mid-level managers are stuck in this, okay, I need to know the strategy. I need to know the big picture. And I need to know the kind of day-to-day. And I need to find ways to manage both of those and to bridge the gap between them. And I don't think that many organizations do as good a job at supporting middle managers and middle leadership positions. It's hard. Interesting. And that's, I think, where if you don't have time for, if you don't have time for your whole job, you don't have time for leadership development. And if you feel like everything's a priority, including leadership development, it's the one easy thing to say, okay, I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to read that book. I'm not going to go to that workshop because it takes away from the work I'm supposed to be doing. Or I'm going to move my one-on-ones with my direct reports because my manager moves them all the time. So it must be fine. They'll come to me if they need something. And they do. My people come to me all the time, but they always are coming with technical issues, not relationship issues until it blows up. And of course, then we have a. So I just think that there's more work we need to do in that. Like, how do we promote people and how do we prepare them for promotion before they're promoted? Um, How do we prepare people when they're in those roles? And we can't teach people to be better leaders. We can teach them. I read this on LinkedIn. One of the LinkedIn folks that I have at follow, Matt Gertson, talked about don't teach people to be better managers, teach them to give better feedback, teach them hmm. to right recognize more effectively, to set more clear expectations, to run better meetings. So rather than thinking about leadership as this singular monolith, it's I want to do yeah. more direct skills that are culture specific, that are going to work here in my organization. Yeah. And help people be effective here. They're transferable. How to run a good meeting is going to have the, the same bones everywhere. And a healthcare meeting is going to be different than a social like network. Yeah. You like the Google or whatever. Like it's going to just yeah. be different. So that was a long answer to your question. Did I answer your question? It was perfect. I have so many new questions now. Okay, Thank good. you. I'll see if I can get through them all. The first yeah. one is that mid-level management perspective. Mm-hmm. I've heard in growing up because I studied a little bit of like organizational culture and management transitions, that sort of thing when I was in undergrad. But 
there is a very unique problem for the mid-level management. Do you feel like it's human nature that we just don't see ROI and focusing in on that realm? Like within that sandwich, I can't think of a single organization where that is not the group of people that don't just get squashed. Yeah. It's interesting the way that you frame that question because is it that we don't value the ROI or that the ROI for leadership development is actually hard to measure? We often don't measure it very yeah. effectively. So when someone says, okay, we just put these 10 people through a, a leadership development program at the middle and five of them are still doing poorly and five of them are doing great, there yeah. are factors outside of that leadership development experience that might have played a role. Sponsorship being a big one, right? What yeah. does your leader do? What are you seeing modeled? And how are you being rewarded for changing your behavior? So I think there are some different elements going on there. And I think everyone wants leadership development to be easier. We want it to be something that people can do in a very short amount of time. They can take a five-minute class. They can do, right? But it takes time. Yeah. Um, and that's not how it, that works. It's yeah. You know? And well, and it takes, it also takes some self-awareness that just because you are now the leader does not mm -hmm. mean that you are right. Like it's not like you got the right best, right? Like all yeah. of a sudden you know everything. But I think leaders tend to go in harder at the beginning. They want to really set their, they want to be tough and they want to set mm. really clear expectations and they want to control that situation. Um, and most human adults don't like to be controlled. They they yeah. want to be engaged in some of these conversations. They want to be talked to. They want to be part of the solution. But I think we tend to get, we tend to ask leaders to come in and change everything. And so they do, but it's not really yeah. Their people don't appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a little bit of just, yeah, how do we measure the ROI? Uh, and how do we do it in, again, there's our jobs are, people's jobs are big. And yeah, we don't are. generally do a good job at prioritizing. And I think sometimes leaders, mid-level leaders, hold themselves to the standard of their executive leaders. It's like, oh, if, if my director, my executive director, my VP, CEO, they're working 60 hours a week. I must have to work 60 hours a week. And that shouldn't be the expectation. But I think yep. often we make it up as being an expectation. If they're sending me emails at 9 p.m. They want me to respond at 9 p.m. I don't often think that's true. But we can't hmm. have that conversation. It's harder. So again, if you're holding yourself to that that standard, it's then hard to be a mid-level yeah. leader. Um, yeah. There's a couple so, things that you brought up. For one, thank you for digging in on kind of the ROI. You're absolutely right. I, I think it is really hard to measure these fundamentally not quantitative aspects of development. How do you quantify these such qualitative aspects of somebody's development? And then beyond one individual, now you're trying to do that as well for the team. And that's rough. Right. It takes a lot of work to do. It's not necessarily just that we don't value it, but it's that we do expect, hey, we're going to put in a significant investment, whether it's time or money or energy into trying to accomplish a certain goal. And if it's really hard to control the domino effect of what that has, then I, I totally get it. And we try to make that case too, as we build a new, we don't just think of ROI, we also think of COI or the, the cost of inaction where mm, a lot yeah. of times we want to jump to what's the return on the investment here? What's the return on investment for spending a bunch of money to develop an AI that is 100% catered to people's personal development? My perspective is what's the cost of inaction if the yeah. market continues to change as quickly as it does and we don't provide people with an opportunity and we raise a, a generation of kids or of adults without having these access to opportunities to develop themselves, without teaching them the skill set, the world already is pretty bad at that, which is why <laughs> these roles exist and why it's so critical, you know, that people have these opportunities. And so that's my biggest fear is it's not even just what potential good it's how are we going to mitigate the cost of not acting in these areas? Yeah. yeah. And how do we make a case for mediocrity not being good enough? Because sometimes we will measure, like we can we use employee engagement surveys or things yeah. like that to demonstrate, yes, we've done some work with leaders and now employee engagement scores are going up. There's something going on there. But I think sometimes we're not striving or we're not able to strive and make the connection. Like we want to be in the 90th percentile of whatever benchmark we're in, or we want scores that are closer to 100% or 90%. Mm -hmm. Well, 70% is actually pretty good. 
<laughs> you were okay with that. Like it's yeah. It, or it didn't go down. So maybe it didn't go up, but it didn't go down. So that's so I, I think to that point of the cost of inaction, it might be just what's the cost of mediocrity. Yeah. And how do we look at all of these things in concert with each other? In in healthcare, of course, we think about and a lot of organizations, so I shouldn't just say healthcare, but like yeah. retention is an issue, hiring is an issue, competition is an issue for talent alone. And then you add on like the business implication for yeah. whatever product or whatever service you provide. There's always somewhere someone else can go where they think they're going to get something better. Um, yeah. And maybe that's, hey, maybe that's a better boss. Maybe that's more development, more opportunities. And just having 70% engagement or whatever, like having flat engagement isn't, needs to be a different part of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, but, or whatever. And I use engagement as like a measure because I think it is one that we use to measure leadership effectiveness. There are plenty of tools out there that do that. But I think yeah. when we look holistically at that employee experience, that that's a way to see, ah, who's doing this well? Like who's, what, yeah. what are, and what are they doing that is working here at this place at this time? It's one of the things we're trying to understand at the organization I'm at now is wow, y'all did great in this one area. What are you doing that makes yeah. you, your people say you're a great leader, essentially? Yeah. You know, it's a critical aspect, engagement, really, really across all things, right? Because there's lots of industry parallels. When we're growing out our social media, we don't care about how many followers or likes or whatever. We want engagement. We want right. that people aren't just, okay, yeah, I see that. No, I want to participate in this thing. Yeah, and, committed to that. And yeah. for an organization that's supposed mm. to share a, a mission or key values or a long-term vision for what they're accomplishing, that's critical because even well-performing but unengaged teammates, yeah, to me, that causes a lot of problems. And that's particularly hard to solve because if you're looking at the data, people are performing well, but if they're checked out and not engaged, they're just coming in, getting their job done mediocrity, quote unquote, even yeah. if it's high performing mediocrity, I guess I would say that's a tough nut to crack, but we might have to say that for another podcast. You do have a wealth of experience and there are a lot of people that are listening to this podcast that are in the same boat for some statistics, which is that in our research for a new, we're finding that an increasing number of people, especially young people are looking for ways to decouple their professional development and their leadership development from their workplace. And that's that's really fundamental to how we're building out this tool. Students now just coming out of college, the latest research is that they're likely to have at least 10 jobs in their lifetime, and that's increasing as time goes on. And they understand that they'll need a more self-directed path to their development, both personally and professionally. So I'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about how can we be Kenna's for ourselves. Let's say we're in college or at our first job. We don't have any access to this type of programming at the company that we're in. What are some things that we can do within our own lives to start developing those essential skills to build a baseline for yeah. when we do have an opportunity in our work? Yeah. So it is a great question. For 15 years, I've been involved in an organization that my friend started her own company to do leadership development for high school students, largely high school students. Oh, wow. Um, and so I think that there are opportunities like that are like lightly paid or summer gigs where you get a mm -hmm. chance to learn and develop and and contribute, like giving back. So I think looking for opportunities where people are looking for or companies are looking for especially small companies, short-term employment gigs, that sort of thing is one area. So something like my friend's company is called Leadership Inspirations and she runs a, we run a summer camp. We run programs throughout the year, all for high school leadership students. So that's you learn awesome. leadership and you teach or facilitate leadership experiences. So that's like a cool opportunity if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah. I also think there are just plenty of places where like organizations need volunteers. And so if there's a cause that you care about, that there are places that need volunteers. And although the volunteer roles are might initially look menial or low level, like they, you don't get to yeah. do a lot of things. I think that for the moment you get in and say, oh my gosh, something's missing here. I wonder if I can help more here. And I think yeah. it's about the approach. So rather than, of course, this is terrible here. We should do this better, which I have candidly done recently where I'm like, this is terrible. Like I don't want to do yeah. this anymore in a volunteer experience that I have. Instead, now I'm starting to be like, okay, so what can I do about this? How, yeah. And how do I phrase that that thing to say, this isn't working for me as a member, and I would like to help 
figure out how we can make it work. Because yeah. I'd be willing to bet I'm not the only one. Or I'd like to just get more information about why we do what we do. So being yeah. able to be open and curious and optimistic. I won't say positive because I think positivity gets a bad rap. But I think optimistic, hmm. like hopeful that if I say something, that something will happen. And yeah. then I can make change. So I think volunteering for some of some people, you might be able to get on a volunteer board. So some mm-hmm. nonprofits have a board. It depends on what their requirements are. So I know there are plenty of nonprofit boards that you need to fundraise and you need to be able to contribute in a professional or financial way. That might not be a good option. But right. even thinking about Girl Scouts of America is always looking for volunteer yeah. troop leaders and you don't have to have a child in Girl Scouts to be able to be a great troop leader. So yeah. if that's something you're interested in, I just think there are ways to to do that. And then you learn their model, whatever the model is of the organization you're working in, and you get a chance to practice skills you might not have. So yeah. I think volunteering is a great way to do that. I know a lot of people want to have a side hustle and there's lots of benefits to having a side hustle, but I would just, I think it's about balance. And then the yeah. last thing I will say is I think that there are opportunities within the work so long as you are performing your work. So if, if yeah. you can find a committee to be on or a process that needs to be improved or documentation that needs to be developed or identified or pulled together, that sometimes that doing that little extra at work gives you development mm-hmm. opportunities that you didn't know were there. And then it's about talking about it. Right. So simply being on a committee and not talking about what you learn or reflecting on what you learn, like it's just more work. But if you can reflect on it, then it becomes learning instead. So that's what I think about. Yeah. Yeah. I I think those are fantastic resources for people. I do think it's important to note that not everything needs to be a side hustle. There there are definitely (laughs) a lot of people that I know that it's okay. I've got this little bit of extra time. I want to develop a skill set. How do I monetize this? It doesn't always have to be that way. And and a lot of times, if you really are trying to work on yourself, there's not a financial aspect associated with it. If you're genuinely going out there, it's a lot easier, I think, for people to connect with their why, to uncover a new value system maybe that they didn't think they had, yeah. or to really find what matters to them, which can help inform future roles and other future leadership development opportunities. If yeah. Money is not part of the equation. In a lot of ways, I feel like it muddies the waters. Yeah. To your point, just doing some values exploration is a powerful professional development exercise. So yeah. there are plenty. You can Google it, I'm sure. And But Dare to Lead has a, has a really good values-based exercise that you can... I think you can download the instructions from the Dare to Lead web, Lead website. Yeah. So I do think that's a great one. But there are just plenty of values lists that when you look at, what are all the things that are important to me? Okay, now, now reduce it to 10. Now reduce yep. that to five. Now reduce that to two. What really drives everything that you do? Yeah. And I've done this a number of times. And I've lately, I've been landing on excellence is always part of my value set. So that's Mm. helpful. Like I always want to do things well and I want to bring that. I want to do well there. Authenticity, especially over COVID has become more important. It's why I have my pictures and it's why I don't apologize when my kids interrupt. They won't today, but that's important. Um, And then connection is really important. Like it's about being humans together. And if those three values guide every single thing that I do, that's, it doesn't really matter where where I'm doing that learning, that working, that interacting, like those are the things that I bring. So I definitely recommend that as a starting place, like what is it that you truly are about? And it helps to create that personal brand as well when you start talking about precisely what you're going to do next. The podcast before this one um, is actually with a personal branding expert from Lisbon. So we talk about exactly that, about not necessarily everything needs to be incorporated into a personal brand, but there are two really important aspects of living an adult life as a human in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And that's a deep understanding of who you are, but also yeah. an understanding of how to articulate that properly to the right people at the sure. right time. Because that could yeah. be your value system. But if you're not acting in line with that, if you are not given or or avoiding even opportunities to act on behalf of those values, then people might not necessarily see that. Building a brand, mm-hmm. but not in a, I want to be an influencer, but more in a post resume, here's a more holistic view of who I am as a person and what value I bring to the table, not just for the team, but just for me, for what I want to do over the course of my life. That is increasingly important. 
And therefore, it is increasingly important that people take the time as soon as they can to take a step back and figure out what that is. Yeah. Yeah. And revisit it regularly because it could change and it's okay to change. Yeah. Life happens. But I do think that it is a helpful exercise to then figure out where do you want to spend your time Mm -hmm. and what do you not want to spend your time. Mm -hmm. So great starting point for pretty much everything. Wow. What a wholesome way to end end the episode. (laughs) No, it's true. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm going to link your LinkedIn information as well as some of the organizations that you shouted out down below. So anyone listening is welcome to take a look at the description and uh, support Kenna in your work as well as the organizations that you brought up. Are there any last words, anything that you want to say or encourage people to do as they move forward? Oh my gosh, that's a giant question. Honestly, as I think about leadership development, it's got to start with self-awareness. So if you mm. don't know yourself and you you don't know what drives you, what motivates you, what makes you ha- feel joy, yeah. then it's really hard to lead uh, and sure be in, in a leadership role or in a leadership experience, in a leadership development experience. So I think self-awareness is like the critical part of all of this. And that's what makes better humans in general is what I think. Good luck. <laughs> People might need it. Yeah. yeah All right. True. Thank you so much, Kenna. Thank and thank you, you everyone for tuning in. Another massive thank you to Kenna for joining us on this episode. It was an absolute joy and I cannot wait to bring Kenna back on in the near future. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear from Team Anu about, please reach out on social media, email us at info at or just use the link in the description below. As our startup grows, we're designing this podcast to grow with it. We're working hard every single day on building you the world's best personal AI that is entirely focused on your growth and development, including all the things that you heard about in this episode. But we're here to support you even before that's ready. This content is designed to be a free resource for you and a way to build community for all of us who are interested in using tech to maximize our potential and live better lives. Remember that you can sign up for our waitlist at the link in the description or at www.anu.ai and follow us on social media to see some sneak peeks of our tool. I've been using mine, uh, which I named Atlas, for a little over a month now, and it has absolutely cemented its role in my life. It has replaced my journal, it's my habit tracker, it's the way that I prioritize my weekly and daily goals and tasks. It's my strategic advisor in the moment when I need guidance that is just custom tailored to me. And it's just damn fun to use. I'll talk more about that in an upcoming episode, so make sure that you are subscribed and stay tuned for that. One final thank you to Kenna. You can find some of her info in the description of this episode. Please go support her and the incredible work that she does. Until next time, Josh, should we get back to training models? Yeah, I think so.